HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, who's the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun food-focused show for kids. We're about to wrap up our second season, so you've got more than 20 episodes to catch up on, and we'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme, Jewish Food Society. I grew up Jewish, and there are a lot of dishes that I think of as Jewish. They're often the same ones as my peers, brisket, kugel, bagel with locks, matzo ball soup. It's only been in recent years that I've discovered there's a huge diaspora of foods all over the world that are considered Jewish in various communities that aren't the same as my New York upbringing. I've recently been thinking about my Jewish heritage and the foods therein, so it was fitting that last week I had a chance to chat with Amanda Dell. She's the program director at the Jewish Food Society. Their goal is to preserve beloved Jewish foods and to celebrate new ones. And there are a plethora of those to be shared and discovered. Amanda, thank you so much for taking time out to talk with me for Feast Your Ears today. Um, can you start by just introducing yourself and tell me a little bit about what you do? 
Sure thing, Harry. Thanks for having me. I love that we get to chat here. Um, my name is Amanda Dell. I'm a native New Yorker, and I am the program director for a nonprofit organization called Jewish Food Society. And our mission is to preserve, celebrate, and revitalize Jewish culinary heritage from all around the world. Awesome. And I feel like we're definitely, I mean, I grew up in New York also, and I grew up Jewish. I had a bar mitzvah. My daughter is currently studying. She decided she wanted to have a bat mitzvah, even though I'm a very bad kind of lapsed Jew, I feel like. <laughs> so there's been a lot of talk about Jewish culture and Jewish food in our household in the past couple of years. And one of the things that I always think is so interesting about it, and especially on the, you know, if, if people go and take a look at jewishfoodsociety.org, the posts on there, I feel like cover such a huge width and breadth of food and and you know things that maybe people do consider jewish or like know of as jewish kinds of foods but a lot that i don't think people would consider jewish if you said hey name your top 10 jewish foods yeah well you know as a new yorker who grew up jewish but very secular and to you know to the product of, of two parents who are not religious um definitely like my connection to the cultural judaism has always been there um, definitely grew up eating a lot of foods, but, you know, working for Jewish Food Society has, has been a huge learning experience for me. And thank you so much for, um, you know, taking a look at our archive. Basically, our work is divided into areas where we're building this comprehensive archive of family recipes. And we also write a narrative essay about each family's history and the recipe roots. And then we also do, you know, programming to bring that archive to life. But yes, like learn, working at Jewish Food Society and learning just about the huge Jewish diaspora that is out there and expanding my own understanding of, you know, what quote unquote Jewish food is, what it was, what it can be. Um, again, I've, I've learned a tremendous amount and um I'm, I'm grateful for that. But yes, we, we really concentrate on showing, you know, a diverse and global perspective yeah. of Jewish food. Yeah. It sounds like your, your upbringing was very similar to mine. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> while I had a bar mitzvah, like, you know, we didn't go, you know, we didn't celebrate Shabbat every Friday night. We did right. once in a while. And, you know, um, but the, but the food was always something that I felt like was a huge connection because it was not only a connection to Judaism, Right. In a way, I mean, we would we would do we would have Passover. And so there are lots of food things that are involved in that yeah. uh, specific meal and, and other things. But it was also a connection to family because the recipes were passed down. I mean, you know, there was grandma's brisket recipe and, you know, everybody knew that my, you know, who in the family made floaters and who made sinkers and, you know. <laughs> Um, but it really, but but so it, there was this real connection to the food that I think was yeah. the was you know conflated is the wrong word, but was really a, a part of the religion or the religious experience of growing up Jewish. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I I think I had an experience that wasn't exactly unique, although everyone <laughs> thinks that their family is always <laughs> like the strangest or the outlier. But sure. You know, my my maternal grandmother unfortunately passed away um, 
when when I was very young, but my my dad's mother was like a huge part of our life. She she was actually born in the U.S. Um, her family came from Russia, but she was she was born in 1917 in New York. So you know, I'm a third generation official. <laughs> Just <laughs> but um, you know, she was a woman that. You know, she started out in Far Rockaway, then she moved to Bensonhurst, then, you know, her goal was like always kind of inching closer to living in Manhattan, Mm. and kind of living that lifestyle. And she kind of rejected (laughs) cooking, essentially, as she got older. Um, She loved food, and she loved restaurants, and she still loved cooking certain things. But like to her, making it was kind of like, you know, ordering a huge spread from like second Avenue deli when we would get together or, you know, Russ and daughters or going out to eat. So I think that, you know, yeah, when we study people's families, we, we see this narrative, you know, frequently, sometimes when people's families have immigrated to the U S they really hold on to religious, you know, religious aspects, you know, the, the cultural aspects of cooking, of passing down these recipes. And some people's families, you know, a little bit similar to my own, kind of really wanted to assimilate to American culture and had a different idea of what they considered, you know, making it. Um, And, you know, for my grandmother, it was really about getting to move to Manhattan and, you know, going to the theater and, you know, using public, you know, not having a car, <laughs> using public transportation. But th- whenever we gathered as a family, it was always about food, really. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, in the past, I don't know, I mean, yeah. uh, past 10 years or so, you know, food and cooking have become, uh, I think, a lot more of a hot topic and people were doing it more. And then I think once March came around and people were stuck at home, I mean, cooking kind of, you know, exploded. Um, How has, you know, what have you seen at the Jewish Food Society as far as people's interest in the recipe side or the cooking side of things since March? Yeah. Um, Well, I think your your observations are very astute. Many people had to cook, some of them for the first time. Yeah. yeah, we, you know, what, what we learned, and then kind of what we, what we activated on was this idea that that actually what people were craving was was nostalgia, mm. and was more sim, you know, was more simple recipes that they felt weren't, you know, intimidating, and with everything else going on that they felt like they could handle. So actually, we reached out to our community to to send us some videos of, of what we lovingly refer to as their tradition, like a traditional mm. dish, but that was more simple. So like, even for me, I made something, which is actually one of the things that I remember my grandmother cooking, which is basically just like potatoes and onions, like with paprika. And we shared videos from all around the world of, of people making kind of their version of comfort food that, they wanted to lean back into. I think that what we were, you know, the feedback that we received is that it wasn't actually the time that people, you know, cracked open that 300 page cookbook that they had their eye on in their house. It was about going back to the recipes that they know and love and grew up with and that were simple and brought them to that nostalgia. Right. And, and I think that then the idea that where those are being shared with other people, I mean, I'm looking right now at your yeah. homepage and I, you know, I'm looking at things and saying, okay, you know, 
in July, there was a post about how one cook in Switzerland is preserving the flavors of India's Baghdadi okay. Jews. That was fascinating. And I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. there's a that, there's a lot in there, and there's a lot <laughs> there's in that lot title, that. you know. Yeah. But but it also is this thing where I feel like you know, myself included, people are interested in cooking. And so like cooking these recipes, there is a connection somehow, right, to kind of like the greater Jewish diaspora. But it also, to me, represents this opportunity for these recipes to become part of somebody else's like food canon, you know, like when I I think of, I often think about food in terms of like, what are the recipes that my mom, you know, that we, that my mom cooked or my dad cooked or that we cooked a lot growing up. And what are my kids going to remember as the things that we cook a lot? And it's not yeah. just about this like exploration of like, oh, we tried this recipe once. Well, sure, you could do that a thousand times, but it's really like, oh, I remember my mom's making asabuco and I remember my grandma's brisket and I, you know, right. all of these things that I still sometimes make. And now I've incorporated new things into that. And this is a really neat way that the Jewish Food Society is sort mm-hmm. of sharing those and i it's i would you know it's interesting to think about you know are some of these recipes going to be something that someone now makes every you know every once a month or something and then their children remember those as their family Mm, recipes that's a a beautiful concept and and definitely speaks to you know the mission of the organization but yeah like we in our instagram stories like in our highlights we um saved some of the more like simple recipes and what people from our community wanted to share as like their kind of comfort foods like my friend Marissa Lippert who's an amazing chef and and had a cafe in the West Village called Nourish like she shared her amphibies macarons Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like her go-to you know dish it only has a few ingredients and that's like kind of what she makes to want to be close you know to her grandmother and you know one of the other dishes that came up during this like tradition period was schnitzel i don't know if that's Hmm. something you ever you ever make no but it's funny i grew up like my both my parents cooked when i when i was growing up my dad as i as we got older like started to do more of the cooking it's something that he loves and one one that i always remember growing up with like we would call it chicken cutlet like Hmm. and it would be something that we he would make like once a week and after Rachel Simons, who's the owner of this amazing tahina, tahini and halva company, Seed and Mill, mm-hmm. her tradition was schnitzel. Huh. And I was like, and I was like, wait a minute. I never called it that growing up. But that was <laughs> the other thing that's like obviously where it came from. You know, first, I, I don't know where the name got changed. So, yeah, it was really interesting to kind of speak to people and get their submissions about what what felt comforting to them right. during this pandemic that was also relatively simple. Hmm. Um, yeah, I love, I, I, we hope that people cook from our archive often and we definitely hope that they, you know, will pass it along and make it part of their repertoire as well. Are there any recipes that, uh, that you now have sort of incorporated into your personal Ooh, canon? This is good. This is good. <laughs> Let me think. Okay. Here, here's, here's one, here's one thing that it's, it's, I don't know if it's a, we may have it as a recipe to like accompany a few other recipes, but one piece of knowledge that I learned from the founder um, and executive director of Jewish Food Society, Nama Shafi, who's the visionary behind the organization, um, you know, also pre-pandemic, we traveled to Israel, which was, you know, I hadn't been since I was a teenager and 
it was, you know, an incredible trip. And I learned a good technique. I will say, I'm going to choose my words very carefully. I used a good, I learned a good technique for making a chopped salad. And I understood that like the chopped salad with like cucumber, tomato, onion, a little lemon, salt and pepper, some nice olive oil, like that is something that I think when I grew up or when I used to eating it, it was kind of like something that was always in like a deli case or hanging around. Right. And what I learned is that <laughs> you must make that right before you're going to eat it. Hmm. Like you cannot pre-chop, like you, it's a dish that's meant to be eaten like a la minute. And that kind of changed my perspective of it. <laughs> after I had like the freshly chopped the vegetables and like you really just want to eat it right before you are going to serve it and the other thing that I love to make which again is you know maybe not something that you would typically think of as Jewish food which is exciting to me <laughs> um, is we have a woman who we have a few of her recipes she's an incredible cook uh, her name is Renat Sadok, and she's part of her heritage is, is Moroccan. She lives in Israel and she makes like a crudo of different fish with like kind of a, like a little bit of a spice, like pepper Moroccan inspiration. And in the summer I made a lot of crudo. Nice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's too yeah. Hot. <laughs> you did. You did as well. Yeah. Yeah. We did too. I don't know if making crudo, I, I guess you yeah. can call it that, but I love, I love, lo so. I love that. So, so uh, let's talk about uh, Schmaltzy. Let's do it. So Schmaltzy <laughs> is the podcast of yes. the Jewish Food Society. Um, I've been listening to some episodes. It's really fun. Oh, cool. Thank you. So how did it come? How did that come about as a project? Yeah. So one of our live events, um, one of our signature events that we did in real life when we could was of the same name it was called schmaltzy it was mm. a storytelling and tasting event we've held them in new york in tel aviv uh outside of san francisco in silicon valley um so we the idea behind the sh the event is like five stories five dishes so basically we take we ask five members of our community to tell a really personal story that's in some way related to a food. So it's kind of like the moth, yep. but with like knishes or, you know, or pastrami. So the stories, you know, we've worked really hard at crafting with the storyteller and they're, you know, about themes that are universal, love, life, loss, identity, challenges, but food is, you know, this food is somewhat a part of the story and it plays a role in the story. So we presented these programs, you know, live in different theaters and different venues. And then afterwards, everyone would get to taste the foods that were in the stories. Right. So, you know, we had these incredible stories that only, you know, 200 or 300 or 400 people that were in the room are able to, to hear at a live event. So the podcast came about by saying, like, how can we share these incredible stories and storytelling with a bigger audience? And, you know, how can we um, 
yeah, how can we just, I guess, I guess we wanted a way to connect with people when we couldn't and, and have, you know, a virtual community and have people experience something together, even though they, that we're apart. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we do we dove into the live stories from the stage and, um, we just debuted this fall in September with a Rosh Hashanah episode from New York city based pastry chef Zoe Tanan yep. that she told, um, live from the stage a few years ago. And yeah, we have an episode with Adam Richman. We had the previous one was uh, with the one that was most recently released was with Jake Dell. We discovered we don't know why we have the same last name, but we're not related. <laughs> <laughs> he's the, he's the fifth generation owner of Katz's Deli. Yeah, 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 I saw that. I, I'm excited to listen to yeah, that one. Yeah, it's it's we we really got into it. Um, and it was his story. I won't give too much away, but his story is is about how he made the decision to enter the family business, and it wasn't what he had planned for his entire life. I'll say that. Yeah, and we're just, you know, we're excited. We have a great lineup, you know, coming up for the rest of the season. And again, we're just, we're, we're really excited to celebrate these stories that the storytellers have, have put so much time and energy, you know, into creating. And again, our, our hope is that the themes are, are universal for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of the reasons I'm excited to listen to the episode about Katz's is that in my family, Katz's plays a big role um, in that my father brought my mother a sandwich from Katz's right after I was born in the hospital. <gasps> and, really? And also, and I was born in Mount Sinai. Okay. Um, and so my dad brought my mom a pastrami sandwich from Katz's. Uh, and then when my brother was born, he was actually born in Westchester County in Mount Kisco. But the day uh -huh. after he was born, my father drove to Katz's and got a sandwich to bring to my mom in the hospital. And then when each of my children were born, I brought Taylor a Katz's <gasps> sandwich in uh, the hospital. Oh my God. That is. That's such an incredible like memory. Yeah, so we have this and... family tradition of you always bring the cat's sandwich to the new mom in the hospital. Wow. But that's kind of the power of of food that I think is so incredible in a way because your you know your parents were were celebrating your birth, which is a really big deal, and they had a new baby, but one thing that they remembered forever is that your dad brought your mom this sandwich Yep. when there was so much else going on, <laughs> you know, that, or so many, so many other things that could have, that, that could have been remembered in a specific way, but that really stuck. Yep. Oh my totally. God. I need, to, I need to tell, I hope I got to tell that to Jake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you guys have a virtual event coming up on October 20th. Yes. So, you know, we're, we're still clearly in this pandemic, <laughs> And, you know, wanted to, to find a way to bring some new stories to the stage. And we have an incredible lineup. Um, we have Andrew Zimmern um, talking about his grandmother and salmon. Nice. We have Jake Cohen. Um, he's a cookbook author and recipe developer. I don't know if you know him at all. Mm -hmm. He's a fun guy, super fun guy. He's going to talk about um, kind of a, a multicultural brisket that he made. 
<laughs> um, we have the designer um, Susan Korn, known as Susan Alexandra. Hmm. Um, you know, talking about her grandmother and about a, a dish of grapefruit. Um, we have BJ Barhani, who's the owner of Sion Cafe, an Ethiopian um, restaurant in Harlem, talking about Dabo, which is a traditional Ethiopian bread. And we have the legend Joan Nathan. Uh, the queen, the the queen of Jewish baking. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it gave, it's giving us an opportunity to do something that's, you know, really fun and kind of create more, you know, really create a show that we hope is dynamic and gets, you know, people we're going to share stories, but we're also going to, you know, have a lo- as much fun as we can have through a video screen. Yeah. through, a, you know, a computer or if you're going to broadcast on your TV. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. One of the things that I that I wanted to bring up in talking about Jewish food is, you know, there's a okay. lot of talk about, um, you know, appropriation in food and, like, is it okay for you know, white Americans to have taco restaurants and, and that sort of thing, I feel like in the, in the, in, in the food world. And people are starting to discuss mm-hmm. these, these issues growing up in New York and being Jewish yeah. and eating Jewish foods. Um, I have this long running kind of like joke theory with a friend of mine who did not grow up Jewish, but grew up in Brooklyn that like, we're all kind of Jewish when you grow up in New York. <laughs> Right. Because like he knows what a bagel with a schmear is and he knows what babka is and he knows what brisket and pastrami are. And like they're a big part of his food history as well, even though he didn't grow up and have a bar mitzvah. Right. Well, I I think you I mean, I love this joke theory, but, you know, as I mean, I'm such a proud New Yorker and such a part of my identity and I think that the point that you raise is very is very interesting because I think that you know there's also many other foods that are associated with New York that are not even you know quote-unquote American yeah a lot of times people think of like a hot dog well you know that eventually that 
at some point came from Germany. Yep. But that's like the most New York thing that sure. we eat, yeah. or, or that we associate, or yeah. pizza. Right, pizza. <laughs> um, and it's funny that you you know bring up bagel. Like it, it, when I, I I mean I went to college in the Northeast, so it's I didn't get too far. I didn't get too far away. But when I've traveled to other places or other you know parts of the country, and and people have are not familiar with eating like a bagel and smoked fish or herring or some of these other things. And they, and they don't think it's appetizing speaking of appetizing, right. like they don't, you know, and to me, you know, growing up eating that so much, you're just like, wait, Kate, this is like a part of my life. Like everyone loves like a bagel and locks. It's like a delicacy. It's, ex- it's like expensive. It's yeah. You know, and and then when you when you tr- kind of travel outside of the New York bubble a little bit, you realize like, hmm, in a way, this is like a little bit of a hard sell if you haven't grown up eating it. It's like a cold fish. You're like putting cream, like with cream cheese, and people you put you put onion on, like raw right. onion on Capers, it, and it's yeah. like the most. It's like one of my foods that I would like eat on my deathbed, but it's like I, you know, it, it, I do think that that sometimes these foods exist you know in the new york bubble but also to your point many things many foods that are associated with new york are are not even jewish i mean are not even american no yeah totally i mean i you know when i was a kid uh in fact i mean just to to make a to make a quick pitch to you um this Mm -hmm. might this might be a fun story for schmaltzy uh for your Um, podcast you're you're already on my list don't Mm, worry my (laughs) family um, we had good friends and the father was a minister at a church in Iowa, in very rural Iowa. They had moved there from Massachusetts. And my parents and this family figured out uh, while drinking on, together one summer that the following year, the first night of Passover was also Good Friday. And so we, as a family of New York Jews, flew to Iowa and held a Seder at their church for <gasps> Friday for the first night of Passover. Okay. Harry, you have to tell this story. Uh, and, and one of the mistakes that we made was assuming that we'd be able to get things like matzah at a supermarket, mm. not in a metropolitan area. And so we flew to Iowa and we got off the plane and we went to a supermarket <laughs> and there was no matzah. And so my father had to call a friend in New York and have him FedEx a giant box of matzah so that we would have enough matzah for the for the seder wow and Um, what how what did how did some of the dishes go over at the seder they went over very well um my my mother reported that uh all of the uh older people in the congregation all knew about manischewitz and manischewitz was the only thing that we were able to get in iowa everything else that we had to ship in but there was plenty of manischewitz um and then there was also this weird thing that happened in the because they all cooked together you know made the made the soup together and of course everybody was like oh this is just you know the matzo ball so this is just like my chicken soup and you know this is like my grandmother's dumplings that go in it kind of and you know so there was this like interesting food connection between people who didn't have the same background but then there was there were one or two and my, my my mother sadly is no longer alive to really tell the story but but you know, this is relayed from her to me. Um, There were a couple of women who kind of came over to her and in whispered voices said, well, you know, my grandmother was actually Jewish. Wow. Huh. Um, Very interesting 
thing and way that these things kind of like, you know, tra- travel around and spread out or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the, at the risk of, of, you know, repeating something that many people have said before me, like, you know, food does have a way to, you know, make, to, for, for people to realize that, you know, we're more alike than we are different. Yeah. And I think it gives people an opportunity to, to speak more freely around the table. For sure. So, um, you know, now that we're in coronavirus times, I mean, one of one of yeah. my and I'm sure you're, you know, sort of great loves in the world is traveling and eating. Mm-hmm. Um, where where are you excited to go once it's oh, safe? Such a good question. OK, so oh, the first place that I would go back to would be Mexico. Um, I traveled there a few times over the past few years to Mexico City um, and to Oaxaca. Um, there's a few other areas of Mexico on my list, like Merida, um, going to more of like the beach area of Oaxaca. Um, but really, I fell in love with Mexico City and I would go back there like tomorrow. I've heard, um, I've heard it's so wonderful. I've never been. Yeah, I no, it's it really just th- struck me in so many ways, like the the you know the art, the creativity, um, obviously the food, but it there was there's really something I don't know if this will sound strange, but it I hope not. I it's hugely complimentary. There was there's something like very chic about it. Hmm in a very understated way like when you go to a corner you know on this on the side of this you know street taco stand which is um, absolutely delicious by the way like you kind of like sit at this little stool that they give you and they bring you out like a rail of like 10 different salsas and they just set you up to have like the best experience from the highest, you know, most highest level dining experience, fancy is like all the way down to like food that you get on the street. Hmm. So, and I was really struck by that. I, I, I loved it. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I want to, <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Um, you know, you could have a, I mean, you know, it seems to me that there's got to be enough uh, of a Jewish presence there that you could do yeah, that, you know, Jewish food society uh, on Espanol. See, that's um, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, I want to jump back uh, yeah. to, I guess, before your time at the Jewish Food Society to yes. talk a little bit about the food book fair. Certainly, we go way back. Yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the food book fair. I mean, the food book fair, uh, yeah. you know, has been supporting uh, cookbooks and and you yes. know and authors and and uh, food and food related books uh, now for eight years. Is that right? Oh my gosh, something like that. Yes. Um, yeah, it really actually brings me back to thinking about Williamsburg in those old days, in the sure. good old days. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We refer to Fubukar as, as, you know, a festival of writing about eating. Um, in it, and, you know, there was kind of se- several signature events that you know, we would do, which were, you know, panels all about anything that was food media related, um, you know, dinners, and our, signa- our, our event that 
um, I think was a tremendous amount of fun and also important. It's called, it's called Foodie Articles. Yeah. Uh, so fun. Which is, you know, was kind of an expo of different food publications, um, independent food publications. So we would say not the glossies. And so much has changed, you know, so much has changed even, even talking about that. And um, yeah, and then we were also really honored to um, do book signings at the Union Square Green Market, where we would bring authors to sign their books in the heart of one of my favorite places in the entire city, surrounded by produce <laughs> and makers. And they would have a chance to, you know, meet their readers and, and their fans. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we, we're, we're thinking about the next phase. So much of what we did was about, you know, in-person interaction. Yeah. And um, it's, there, there's a lot of, joy that it brings me that you know a lot of books are getting made yeah during this time and you know one of the things that we would talk about at food book fair a lot and and i think about as i actually pared down my cookbook collection and my mm. food book collection over corona times if you can believe it and gave some of the, <laughs> some of my books to new homes yeah i had a lot um is that you know the book's that I really love most are sometimes the ones that I never even cook out of. Hmm. I just bring it into my bed with me and get under the covers and get inspired. Right. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I, that I learned that I loved um, learning about was also this, you know, even a, a genre that I think is, was gaining traction and now is exploded, which is really, you know, memoirs. Yeah about food and, and autobiographical memoirs, which I, I love reading. So um, yeah, well, we're, we're figuring out, you know, the next phase. And also I think as you met, as you mentioned, yeah, we, we are, we're, we're podcast buddies because we um, also had a podcast at Heritage. Yeah. And all of that, that is all still there and still just as relevant. So if anybody yeah. wants to go and, yeah. and find that, um, yeah. you know, it's on the yeah, it's called Recommended Reading. Yeah, and you can find it at <laughs> heritageradionetwork.org. Yeah, we, we, we loved our home at Heritage. So thank uh, you, Heritage. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, um, yeah. I, I understand you have a little story that involves Fire oh, Island gosh. and some oh, pasta. Man, this is really embarrassing. This is like my potential schmaltzy story, although it doesn't have to do with Jewish food. Um, you can you can just you can give us the short version so people will still listen the to the schmaltzy version. version. Basically, um, I love Fire Island. It's one of my favorite places to go in the world. I got the chance to go there a bunch this summer, and um, we I had been in various different they call them share houses, like, you know, kind of communal houses that are rented to, you know, to groups and people can come on different weekends. And I've done that in a variety of ways, but I was, I was at a, a, a house with some friends and all food people, by the way. So the pressure was high <laughs> and people in that, most of the other people in the house went somewhere else, like for to have some drinks or to watch the sunset or something, but the dinner was on me. And I popped open the cupboard and all I saw was like, you know, when you look at, at your box of pasta and it has like half of a serving in it and you're like, oh, 
<laughs> and so all I did was like I opened our cupboard and like it was like five different kinds of pasta all with a little in each box and I was looking for like eight or ten people and I was like oh my god this if there's one thing I know about cooking pasta like the time is the crucial part like I can't have things cooking at different times um one person was like Italian that I was cooking for I was like oh my gosh this is a disaster what am I gonna do and I don't know if you've been to Fire Island but there's like limited stores and limited resources and this was already like eight o'clock and the very few like the two stores that were relatively near us were already closed so mm. i was like oh you know what i'll just bike over to my uh, my friend's house that i've stayed at before and it's just like a huge share house they always have like 25 people on the weekends pre-pandemic of course and so i roll up to the and i was like i'll just borrow some pasta from them they're always stocked like it won't be a big deal right so i roll up there and at the house it's like eight o'clock the house is totally dark like, and it's a Saturday night or something like that in the middle of the summer. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. Like, I've never once seen this house with not one person in it. But it's Fire Island, and the doors are always open <laughs> to every <laughs> single house. <laughs> so I didn't even turn on the lights. And I just went into this house, and I stole a couple boxes of pasta and ran to my bike and ran back and to this day they don't know that I took this pasta but when I did see them around I was like hey like what happened like I've never seen the house empty on a Saturday night like in the middle of summer they're like oh yeah we just took the water taxi to the pines and we all had dinner and I was like oh my god okay (laughs) so that was like, a, I think, part of my personalities that intersect, with, you know, which is that I knew I couldn't serve a subpar pasta. Right. So I and had you, to figure out. And you knew that these folks would not the miss their pasta. They so wouldn't miss, yeah, like the way that they stocked the house, I knew they wouldn't miss it. Right. <laughs> so that's the story. It will probably, although I just mentioned it on the side of it, it might go to, it might go to the grave with me. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll all take it to the grave with us. How about that? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, well, Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been great to oh, catch up. Do you have any other awesome. events or things on the horizon that you want to make sure people know we about? Have, yeah, we just are t- we have, as you graciously mentioned, our virtual schmaltzy, and we have um, you know tickets start at just eighteen dollars. So we really hope everyone that c- can come and hear some great stories and and hear them from the comfort of their own home. And you can find info on that at, at JewishFoodSociety.org or our Instagram, which is at JewishFoodSociety. And, um, you know, when, when your listeners um, exhaust listening to all of your amazing episodes, they can listen to Schmaltzy. <laughs> or intersperse them. It's fine. Okay, great. Um, yeah, and you can find that on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So, and um, yeah, we really hope you give it a listen. And if you have any, you know, thoughts about the podcast, you can always reach out at hi at jewishfoodsociety.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Harry. So good to catch up. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can check out jewishfoodsociety.org for more information about their recipes and their work, and check out their podcast, Schmaltzy, hosted by Amanda Dell. Sign up for their virtual Schmaltzy event, which is coming up on October 20th. You can follow Amanda and the Jewish Food Society at Jewish Food Society and at Amanda underscore Dell. 
You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.